to be here with all of you and to have the chance to study and examine and look into all things esoteric, conspiracy, and uh, mythology. And joined again by a good friend, Noel Hadley, who's a prolific writer and author and web host and webmaster. Noel, are you there, brother? I am here, Zen. Thank you, as always, for having me on. Ah, my great honor and pleasure. Um, I know you've been, ba- um, you know, raising babies and doing a lot with the family, um, and probably have an announcement that you'd like to share as well. But uh, catch us up with what all you've been up to, what kind of research you're doing, books you're writing, and uh, you know, topics that you've covered. I was just looking at the date of our, you know, of course, we're calling in on the show through Skype. And so I was looking at the last date of when I called into your show and I couldn't believe it. It was 9 15, 2022. And wow. I'm just like, really? I'm, yeah, we skipped over 2023, apparently. Oh I don't know where the, gosh. well, of course, you know, I, I was at your conference and I, I spoke at your conference. So that, that was, that was, you know, good uh it was a wonderful time it was a i loved it it was a great conference and uh i hope you do another one um so yeah so it's been it's been too long and i i wanted so desperately to come onto your show tonight and announce that i was going to be doing a uh conference and as you know i i had been i've been talking to you about it for like several months now and my wife and I have been looking at venues and checking places out and we were getting ready. We were going to, you know, there was one we found that we really liked in Orlando. We were going to do it in Orlando. And then all of a sudden, like there was a big change in our life and we we're like, mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't do this. You know how these things go. So uh-huh. um, just to, get, for, to keep everyone, uh, get everyone up to speed. Well, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Noel Joshua Hadley and I am the uh, the, the the writer, creator, CEO, editor in chief, whatever the 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 you know the, the jar of tartar sauce, whatever over at the unexpected cosmology, and it, it's a book publishing provider, just like what you do, Zen. Zen, of course, you're my big inspiration for just about everything I do. Uh, but first and foremost, <laughs> it is it, first and foremost, it's a ministry, and I value very much shepherding the people in the uh the flock over there and revelation 14 12 i probably bring this up a lot is the uh, the the theme verse of our ministry and there are three times in revelation where you uh where you find out where that satan is at war with these group of people and these are who who it describes as a set apart of course he's only at war with the set apart and in revelation 14 12 you find out the qualifications of who the set apart are and those are those who keep the father's commands and the testimony of yahushua hamashiach so you know we we love looking at a wild you know a a, a wild uh smorgasbord of conspiracies just as you do zen uh, but uh if you know for us that the 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 foundation is the the torah and yahushua hamashiach um, and so, yeah, some of the things that we've been doing recently is now I'm not going to be talking about this all night, so everybody knows, but uh, we're putting out the Paleo Hebrew in, uh, into English targums, into English translations. And uh, a, w- a wonderful woman, Pamela Glasgow, is, is she's <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I love talking with you. So, uh, man, I cannot believe that the last show we did was in 2022. I mean, I know that both of us have been busy and, you know, you've been uh, hanging out with the little one and family and all, but wow, that, that year went by so very quickly. Yeah, uh, I, but, I kind of, I kind of fell off the, I, I didn't fall off like the face. I mean, I, I'm a very busy guy, but I, I was for that first year from, because my daughter was born in July of 22. So um, I, I would have been, she would have been a couple months old at this point, And I was just hanging on by a thread. Just, I mean, just trying to survive. And I was, Zen, I was telling you before the show that, you know, we, we think we're having, we think we're having another one now. Um, you know, we're not like, with with Rivka, our daughter, we never took a pregnancy test, never saw a doctor. We just uh, had a home birth, and our, we moved out to Missouri to have it. You know, I'm from South Carolina. We moved out to Missouri and on the edge of the highway there, and had our daughter. And uh, we'll probably do something similar with our next child. But um, yeah, so well, you guys are uh, both uh, very busy. Um, Definitely, you know, raising new and another new uh, child. That's yeah. You, you guys are wow. That's a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Uh, you know, just watching Justin enjoy. But what a beautiful thing too. I just love being with my grandkids and watching them grow. Uh, the changes are so uh, rampant and accelerated in the, yeah, especially in the early few years and. Uh, that's it's just a, a miracle to you know to be hanging around with children and to watch them just awed by life um, but before we move on and whatever it is that you want to start with and cover i'm really going to just open the platform for your lead um but if you would you know give out your website info one more time and um of course every uh, you know most of the books on uh, Noel has published. We also have that Sacred Word Publishing on the the site there. I know that you write extensively, and uh, eventually you're going to catch up to me. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> That's a, yeah, yeah. You're my inspiration, Zen. So uh, I love you, and um, I, I, yeah. You're just you're just a very amazing, genuine uh, individual. So. Well, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, I love you yeah. too, brother. But yeah, let's uh, let's just so have a bro hug. Like, yeah, Let, let's just let's just have a bro hugging party for the next two hours. Oh no, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, right. I was gonna say about my daughter. She's she's uh, you know, she's toddling. She's 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 the joy of my life, the love of my life. I I, uh, I love my daughter to death, but she is um, she's a very difficult, uh, strong-willed. Child, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And she's at the age now where she is getting into her temper tantrums, you know. <laughs> yeah. And she will just like several times, you know, in the day, she will just throw herself down on the floor, you know, arms and legs sprawled out, and just face flat on the ground, just screaming, <laughs> right? And so I okay. decided, I decided that I'm just going to just when she does it, I'm going to do it. So, Join her, right? <laughs> so yeah, she'll do. She does it, and then I'll just get right on the floor next to her, face down, go, you know, like, eh, <laughs> you know. and she stops and she looks at me and she just starts cracking up because she sees how uh, you know, ridiculous and you know right. ridiculous it looks for. Well, it's 
it's not as cute for an adult to do it anyways, but um, at least yeah. it's cute. So, uh, really. all right. So I had the opportunity to speak at your conference. Great experience. Uh, um, everyone was so nice and inviting. And uh, it, it was so hard to try to figure out how to pack. I mean, I was racing against that clock. The clock was not my friend. And I can't remember how long were the presentations. They were like 50, 55 minutes or something like that. Yeah, not, not very long. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, I mean, that's standard, right? That's the way it is. But right, uh, yeah. it's like, you know, I had all this, you know, just material. I'm like, how? Because I got to your conference and I was assuming that people there kind of had this idea of, you know, the mud flood and all these kinds of things. People are, are coming up to me and going, are you the mud flood guy? And I'm like. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I guess. I, I never thought of myself as the mud the mud guy or the mudflood guy. It was either interchangeably mud guy or mudflood guy. And it quickly occurred to me like, oh my goodness, I'm presenting something that I thought they knew and they don't know anything. So uh, a lot of the people here. So I had to try to reconform it like that morning as I'm going on, I'm going in and reconfiguring everything and trying to, to present it in such a way that would give them you know, things that maybe they could, you know, look at a research later. And there, there's two things that in this now, and I, I want to say to everyone out there that I understand that what I'm talking about is, is very controversial. Um, you know, everything I talk about is controversial. You know, this too's in, I mean, right. you know, this too's in, I yeah. mean, the, the, the flat earth was controversial and right. the, the, the feminine Ruach Kakadesh is con uh, right. not really anymore. It's, it's not as taboo as it used to be. I, I'm noticing much more and more people, uh, particularly like in the Torah crowd that are opening up to it. Really? Um, That's great. Yeah. You can have conversations with a lot of people now. They don't, they don't freak out like they used to. Um, but so I understand this is controversial and I don't want anyone out there. I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to keep to my own lane. I just like to keep to my own lane uh -huh. and, and just kind of just do my research, do my work, mind my own business. And either someone comes along and goes, Ooh, that's neat. I'd like to, you know, learn more or they they're not taken with it and they just want to go to something. That's fine. Right. So, uh, the, the two of the biggest, I would say original pieces of research that, uh, that I have contributed to this conversation is what I would call the 7,000 year timeline deception and the hidden wilderness. And I was thinking we could break this up. Uh, with the, I think the commercial breaks happen. Is it every hour or every 30 minutes? Uh, every 30 minutes on this show. Oh, okay. Uh, so I got, all right. So I'll, I'll, I'll break it up by at least an hour, whatever. We'll do the 30 minute split. Uh, and so the, Here's it. Here's it. So here's the thing with uh, the book of Revelation. Whenever you get into the book of Revelation, it's it's probably the most confused book in the whole of the Bible. And I say this because like even within the um, the, the the truther realm, you know, truther people, they love talking about things like the mark of the beast. And, you know, they but they, they don't really know much about the Bible, but they, they have these these keywords they're like talking about right they I mean you it take the take the mark of the beast for example if you were to uh if you were to go do a search on youtube you would probably find thousands upon thousands and thousands of results of videos of everybody coming up with their theory of what the mark of the beast is and usually it's you know it's the next thing right it's the next thing down the turnpike the the next technology whatever um and it's always the next thing um but I really like cross-referencing. I like, um, you know, I like second witnesses. If you can get a third or fourth, if you can get 50 or 100 witnesses, that's beautiful. But if you can get a second or third witness. 
And I would, I would challenge, I'm going to put a few challenges out here for any listeners. Um, find a second witness for the mark of the beast in scripture. And I'll, I'll give one right off the bat. It would be the mark of, yeah, we, we know that there is the mark of the beast and we're told not to take the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell unless you take the mark, but then you have the mark of Yahuwah or Yahuwah. You have the mark of Yah. And that's, we find that in, um, let's see, I think it's Exodus 21 and it, it appears again in Leviticus, but the mark of Yah is keeping the Sabbath day. You got to keep the Sabbath day. And of course on the Sabbath day, you don't buy or sell. So then you could, you could balance this out, right? You go, well, that's interesting, right? Mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. But if you take the mark of Yah, you can't buy or sell on Sabbath. Uh, so, but you can buy or sell if you take the mark of the beast. I should, you know, clarify that, right? So you, you see that, like, okay, that's interesting. All right. So, but then you take something like the what the millennial kingdom, right? We 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 say that Yehoshua Mashiach is going to rule for a thousand years. Now he he rules eternally, and I could get more into the thousand year specifics. Uh, but it's like, well, why is that just a one off in the book of John? Like, where else do we see anything like that in, in canon for starters? Now, there, there, there are a few other books out there that talk about it. But you well, I would point out Exodus 20, which would be the Sabbath day, the mark of Yahuwah, the mark of Yahuwah, the Sabbath day. That's the, the seventh day. And uh, we see that with the creation week, right? The seventh day of creation. And again, we see in Second Peter three eight, three eight, a day is like a thousand years, right? So you you, yeah. you start to get this idea. Okay, there's a week, seven thousand year periods, uh, uh, you know, one thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four, going up to six thousand, and then it starts into the seven thousands, and that would be the millennial kingdom, the the thousand years of rest. You can start seeing that, you can put that theology together, and it makes sense. Well, here's one more I'm gonna throw out to everyone. 144,000. Now I'm about, I'm, I'm about to, I'm sorry, I'm going to maybe upset some people. I'm, I don't intend to, it's not what I want to do. Um, but everyone has these different theories on what the 144,000 are. And I actually talked about this in, in the presentation. And it was interesting that when we did a, uh, our, the Bible study in my group at the Unexpected Cosmology on Hebrew Revelation, I, man, I wish I wish Rob Skiba lived to see Hebrew Revelation come out. I told him on the phone. I told him I was talking to him. I said, I said, Rob, before the end, I said, I said, he, Revelation was written in Hebrews, in Hebrew, and uh, before the end, they're going to come up with the document. And he told me he's like, that would be cool if they did. And then he died in uh, what was it, twenty twenty one? I think it was. Yeah. And uh, see, I lose track of time, but it was within like two or three months that. Hebrew revelation came out. I was like, I can't believe it. Anyways, so we're going through Hebrew revelation. We come to the part of the 144,000. And the interesting thing is, is that they use the word betula, betula. Now in the Greek, it says that they are like virgins, which is actually a, a very good description of a betula. But the thing is, is that there is never an instance in all the scripture, anywhere in scripture where a betula shows up that is not a virgin woman. They are only ever women. There are no men Petulas. It is never, ever employed for him. And people get so upset at this. I'm just like, well, guys, this is just the Bible. I just, just if you can show me an exception, show me an exception. I just, I'm going, I'm just cross-referencing here. The first Petula you see is, um, is Rivka. That would be Rebecca. And it's when Abraham sends Eliezer out to, uh, to uh, Babylon to pick up a, a, a wife a woman for Yitzhak because, you know, he was the ascending offering and he cannot leave the land. Uh, and he goes and the 
he see he prays and then it says a betula came out that was a, a a young virgin woman who had never uh bowed down to any idol had not taken part in any idol worship and she was a virgin um and you know the difference with with um with betulas uh, and virgins is that in the Western in the Western notion of a, a virginity is you know you lose it right you you're a virgin and then you lose it and you never get your virginity back. A betula is a little bit different in scripture. A betula is someone who um, yes they're virgins. You can cease to be a betula. You can become a wife or I guess a prostitute or whatever. Uh, but then you can become one again. Uh, you can choose to be set apart. You can be choose to be set apart for Yahuwah and uh, become a Petula again. But all that to say is, is, you know, and, and by the way, you know, I'm just going to jump in there. I, I actually think that the Roman Catholic tradition of the nuns, you know, the brides of Christ, actually there's uh, books from the middle ages like Pearl, and they actually say that they are the uh, 144,000, really interesting. Hmm. Uh, but I think that that's where that tradition came from. Uh, but I think there was a huge movement uh, in the, that generation for women to be set apart. And we see this in, if you like the acts of uh, Peter, the acts of Thomas, the acts, you know, like the, the, the extra biblical acts books, they put a huge emphasis on these women being set aside. Uh, men too, but women particularly. Um, so anyway, so I, I say all this uh, and stop me anytime when you need to go to a commercial break. But I say all this because I, I, I wanted, as I, as I started to look at the timeline, you know, I, I was like, okay. If, uh, if the Millennial Kingdom already happened, and I guess I need to go back uh, almost uh, after the commercial break, I'll kind of refresh everyone on why I got into this investigation to begin with. But if I, if most people, when they're reading Revelation, you know, you get to the end of the tribulation and you just jump right into the Millennial Kingdom. And a lot of people looking at this, they're like, Noel, like, why aren't you going with 72 AD? Why don't, why aren't you saying 70 AD and the Millennial Kingdom again? And um, I've come up with a very different timeline. And the reason being is because I'm reading these uh, extra biblical books. I'm trying to cross-reference. And, of course, you, you're familiar with some of these. I, I love the Gospel of Nicodemus. It's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, uh, Gospel, yeah, Go Gospel of Nicodemus, uh, the Book of Adam, uh, or Adam and Eve and the Book of Adam. Uh, there's also the Gospel of um, Bartholomew. And yeah. all, of these, all of these books, they um, – they go with a uh, the Greek LXX timeline. Now, uh, I may have to talk about this out the commercial break, but uh, another Bible study we were doing at Cosmology is we were going through the uh, the Aramaic Targum, the the Torah, and we were lining that up with the Greek LXX. Now, of course, the Aramaic Targum goes from the Hebrew Masoretic uh, type of uh, a document, and we were finding that the timelines didn't match up. We were finding that the Greek LXX had uh, had a 1,500-year difference by the time you get to Messiah. Uh, Messiah arrived on the scene in the year 5,500, according to the Greek LXX, and in the year uh, 4,000, according to the Hebrew Masoretic. So according to the Hebrew Masoretic, we're the year, you know, around the year 6,000. And I, according to uh, the Greek LXX, we would be much later in history. And... So that was interesting. And so when I'm reading these books, um, like Gospel of Nicodemus and others, and they're straight up saying that he came in the year 5,500, that's when he resurrected, and that the millennial kingdom would be ushered in in the year 6,500 years later. 
uh, originally I didn't know what to do with that because I'm like, well, that didn't happen. So these books must be false, but I love these books. I don't know what to do with them. I'm just going to stick them on the shelf. And as I started going back into this again, uh, you know, that was what, that's what really started sticking to me. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this timeline that, that what it's saying here in the, the gospel of Nicodemus, Adam and Eve, the Greek LXX, uh, tons of, uh, you look at a lot of the church fathers, what they're talking about. They're saying it, it, 500 years after Mashiach is when it's going to happen. I mean, there are so many quotes on this. And uh, I started lining this up and I go, well, that's interesting. It happens to line up with the 500s, uh, the year 500 to 1500 is exactly precisely when, according to official history, the dark ages happened. Um, so I was like, well, that's interesting. There's some real Orwellian language for us there. The, the, the kingdom is light was the dark ages. And the interesting thing about the dark ages is it has the most unique architecture, uh, unlike anything else on All earth. Right. All it, that thought. All right. that thought. We're we're at break, and even though the stream is not live when it's archived, they will have the uh, the gap with the commercial. So we'll be right back in about three minutes. All right, welcome back, everybody, and yeah, we do appreciate your patience. Um, you know, again, the commercial breaks are not playing to where we can hear them, but they will be archived and they overlap the show. So, um, but I think we're good to go ahead and get back into it. And uh, you were mentioning the timeline, and also I had a question for you. 
Um, can you tell us about the the Paleo Hebrew? Um, you said that you guys are translating that, and uh, what what is the source? And is it Paleo Hebrew of the Targum, or what 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 are you guys? Um, you know, that's a that's an excellent question. And um, what I so when I say we, I'm <laughs> I'm working with the woman who's actually doing it, uh, Pamela Glasgow. And what I need, what I need, because I get so many different questions about um, her whole process. Uh, What I need to do is I need, I'm going to botch it if I talk about it. I'm seriously am. Um, Like I can talk about all the things that I'm personally, you know, digging and researching. What I want her to do is get like, like just a a video, like a 15 or 20 minute video, I need to post on Cosmology where she just talks about, okay, this is to answer all your questions. This is, you know, how I'm doing it. Um, But um, yeah, so I, I, I I would botch it if I talk too much about where she's getting it from. Um, Is it a, just a, is it a manuscript or I mean, you well, know, that, to... yeah, that, that there's, there's kind of a, a process to this, uh, 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 an overlaying process. And one of the, one of the ways that you know that paleo works is that you can, um, like you can overlay. It's, it's like you, you have, you know, the older alphabet, right? The paleo with the modern Masoretic kind of the, the box, the Babylonian box script, and you can like overlay them over each other. And you know, it works because it's not going off and telling some wonky story. It's still the same consistent story. But the thing about paleo is that it's, it, it's, you know, they're pictures, right? And it's, it's like the saying a picture is worth, what is it? A thousand words or is it hundred? A picture is worth a thousand words. And you could, one of the great things about it is that you can look at all the different potentials of what it can be talking about. You know, these, these words have these specific meanings, you know, they, like they left in the top and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, so uh, maybe uh, I ha- oh, uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say something before you leave this topic. Um, it reminds me of uh, an individual. Um, he, he's a, a linguist, and his whole family are very. Um, they all study the the Hebrew and uh, have been teaching that for a long time. But anyways. Um, he was looking at he and his family because you know they're all uh really adept and their interest is in the the language but they were looking at all the instances um for a certain word and what they were trying to do in order to make all of it you know come forth in like a different kind of translation is they would find one word that would fit all the instances uh and then they would use that definition for that word everywhere they found it. And once they had done all of the letters, uh, you know, there would be one definition that would fit all the cases for each one of the words. And the translation that they brought forth in the story that they repeated from, you know, doing this, because uh, it sounds like that's kind of what y'all are uh, doing. I don't, I don't know for sure, but, um, yeah, they have a, it's called the Chronicle Project. They're based in Canada and they have an entire um, release of, you know, scriptures that they've been working on and where they've been translating. And 
the story, you know, the Watchers and the Fallen Angels and the Giants is just fascinating, especially from the viewpoint that they uh, they share in having done this. I, I for a second there, I thought you were talking about the uh, the Hebrew Hawaiians. Um, oh yeah, no, no, um, no. These are a different group, uh, but they're based in Canada, called the Chronicle Project. Well, uh, it, uh, um, the, well, Noble George is a. Uh, uh, I had a total bro crush on that guy, and uh, <laughs> he, he 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 was just an amazing guy. He just like he walks in the room is. and. He walks in the room and he just like he has this air of genteel like this genteel air to him you know like it's like i felt like i felt like i was on vacation you know in in, in hawaii whenever i was around him you know it was just like very relaxing uh, but um yeah funny, you would uh, i keep saying oh, that, just saying that me really funny uh, guy but good uh you would you would just die you would love genesis one it's uh, the story in the paleo it's just wild and what what pamela and i are looking at in there and uh it's just yeah it's it's completely wild now i will say and uh we could of course talk about this too and um that uh you know this is gonna be another you know perhaps controversial uh view here but i am i have now become convinced over the last year that um that Yahuwah, that would be Yahuwah or Yahweh, or some people say Jehovah, uh, that uh, he actually is, uh, he is the son, that he is Yahusha HaMashiach, uh, that they are the same uh, entity. And, uh, and so what we're looking at in the, in the paleo is the idea that Elohim, of course, we know Elohim is God, but uh, in the paleo it would be Alahayam, and that Alahayam is the father, and that uh, Yahweh is the is the son, and it's really interesting watching in Genesis one where uh, Allah Hayam declares Yahweh the uh, the heir of creation, and uh, he's like he's the king, he's the heir, he's coming in, and there's a and immediately uh, this this dark uh, Chosek creature, this dark creature comes out of the abyss uh, to challenge him. And then immediately, that's when the Ruach Hakodesh comes down violently and and withstands and holds back the creature from the uh, from the abyss. I mean, it's it's a wild story in the Paleo. Uh, I love it to death. Um, wow, that sounds like um, you know the story of the the Demiurge um, and the Archons. Oh yeah, well it's um, yeah it so. All right, so I wanted to get, um, so where was I? I was talking about the, oh, the Gothic cathedrals. And um, so, all right, so hopefully everyone understands out there the the the, the, the timeline, why I came up, came up with it. I'm not getting clever out there with the calculator and, you know, getting all like mathematical on people. And, you know, I figure out someone, no, I'm just looking at the books and I'm opening up these books. I've noticed that there's these two timelines I you know maybe the Masoretic is correct. I I don't know, but I uh, I I think it's the Greek LXX. I think that's the correct timeline, and I think that Yehusha Mashiach came in the year five thousand five hundred, and the five hundred, according to these books, is when it went down. Now I, I so I slid that over, and I'm like, all right, so so the Millennial Kingdom would have happened from the year five hundred to fifteen hundred, and and just so everybody knows, I, I'm talking about a physical kingdom on the earth, right? 
Uh, and the what's interesting about the these Gothic cathedrals all over the world is that they are a unique. They, they're not like anything else because by the time you get to the the Renaissance, uh, starting around 1500, the Reformation and the Renaissance, they start going back to the the uh, kind of the Greek and Roman revival with the big domes and the pillars and that kind of stuff. But for a thousand years, it was a you know a unique piece of um, architecture. And of course, there's a lot of uh, videos out there, people investigating these and talking about all the 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 just the, the power these had they were energy harvesting centers for the healing of the nations and uh you know working with the ether and just incredible architecture that just is not designed or built that way today at all um so there's a few other components to this now the thing is about there's a lot of people who when they're looking into stolen history they they look at guys like anatoly uh Fomenko and uh, I don't want to come down on the guy at all. I, several years ago, I was kind of looking into him, and he didn't really he didn't really stir me like he does some people. And he was a guy who says that anything before 500 years ago, like there is no history. It's it was all made up type of thing. And um, and he kind of sw swap, swaps a lot of things around. He has a lot of points at the the Benedict monks and the Jesuits. Uh, but the Freemasons, but specifically the Jesuits and the monks, they came in and they probably wrote a lot of the history books. No, I have no doubt about that. Um, but um, what was I going? Oh, yeah. So the Phoenix. So uh, for those of you out there who don't know, I mean, everybody knows the Phoenix, right? The Phoenix out of the ashes, rise out of the ashes. Really interesting uh, that a lot of the historians out there, the ancient historians, believe that the Phoenix was a real bird. And uh, one of them was Clement, first Clement. I love First Clement. I wish it was in the Bible. Oh, I love yeah, that guy. Um, and um, I think it was written while the temple still stood in the 60s. I don't, if you read it straight up, like he's still talking about the temple standing. Um, and he, you know, he comes in right after Peter and Paul or uh, Kepha and Paul are, are, are killed. But anyways, uh, he talks about the, he talks about the Phoenix and he believed that it was a real bird and it came in every 500 years, this Phoenix. And he connects the resurrection of the dead with the Phoenix. And that, so in a nutshell, when the Phoenix comes, it seems to be these big kind of reset events and kingdoms rise and fall and big things happen. So he was saying that the, the, the next big resurrection of the dead event would happen with the coming into the Phoenix. Well, this is really interesting when I read the, let's see what, um, this is, oh, Tacitus, the, the historian Tacitus. And he said that uh, it, it surprised everybody that the phoenix came in to Heliopolis. That's, of course, a city in Egypt. That's where the phoenix would come in. And it, it came in during the reign of Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius. Now, we know that this was the emperor who reigned yeah. in Yehush, when Yehusha HaMashiach was crucified. Well, I right. find that really interesting because this phoenix came in 250 years before it was supposed to. So it swoops in in 30 AD. Well, we, we don't know it was 30 AD, but he's saying Tiberius. And it's like, okay, well, we know what happened in 30 AD. We know Mashiach uh, was crucified and resurrected. He goes down to Sheol. He raises people out of there, takes them to paradise. And I totally think it was a sneak attack. I totally think that's what happened. Now, when you get into the, when you fast forward to the sibling oracles, uh, they're talking about the the. I kind of went through the chronicle uh, chronology of that, and 
it, it stunned me that you know she's talking about uh, Emperor Hadrian and how Emperor Hadrian's going to go in and do what he does at Jerusalem, and he he certainly did those things. But then uh, the, it talks about the phoenix that was going to come in. The next phoenix was going to usher in the kingdom of Mashiach. Well, I started looking around in the 500s, and you know, I'm not much of a, a date setter. Um, but I'm like, okay, if, if, if it happened in the 500s, maybe there's some sort of sign that this happened. Well, lo and behold, I'm trying to fast forward here. Um, one of the, the things I was looking for, for the coming in of the kingdom was a fire reset events. And of course we get this from Peter or Kifa when he says that, you know, everybody, we all know this, that the, the water judgment was, was behind us, that that's how Yahuwah used to destroy the world was through water. And that the the swap happened at Noah's flood. Nimrod was the first to figure it out. He started worshiping fire. Before that, they worshiped water. And that the future, you know, destruction events would be fire. Well, I, I mentioned earlier uh, geological columns. And this is one of the things that uh, Hasatan can lie about a lot of things. But he kind of has to work with forensic science to a degree. Um, you know, he can, you know, we, we, the fact of the matter is we do have geological columns. Now uh, he can go up there and he can lie about what the geological columns, how they were created. Uh, but nevertheless, we have geological columns and I know Zen, I, you, you believe in, uh, you know, old earth, uh, uh destruction and recreation events. Mm -hmm. Um, so interestingly enough, we come to learn that even the normies are waking up to this now that 536 was the worst year in recorded human history. I say recorded because uh, Noah's flood had to be pretty bad for humanity, but uh, they don't include that in there. But anyways, 536, the reason we know this is because tree rings and all over the earth of uh, going from Mongolia and China up to Siberia, over to Ireland and to England, all the way over to the Americas, to California and down into central uh, into Mexico and even South America, uh, we are finding that all tree rings that line up with the year 536, you just count them back, was the worst year in human history. So uh, everyone's asking the question, what happened in 536? Well, here's what we do know. There was a historian named uh, Cassiodorus, and he, he actually wrote that uh, he was writing as it was happening. And for a straight 18 months, the sun refused to shine. The stars and the moon went away. Uh, it was a winter. Uh, they could kind of see the disk of the sun up there, but the, it gave no heat, no light, very little light, right? It was just blotted out. And there was a mysterious fog that went all across the earth, and all the crops failed. It was a horrible time. Well, and of course, historians are now looking, and they're actually finding that that year was a year that volcanoes were blowing up all over the earth. I mean, there's a lot going off right now, but they were finding them in Alaska, California, all over, you know, south of China, all over the world. These just volcanoes just exploding. This is fire event. And I think it was probably way worse than that. But um, so as I'm starting to look at this, I'm going, okay, well, this is really interesting because now you have this worldwide fire event. Uh, that is literally darkening the skies and people are freaking out. Well, then I looked at the the records of King Arthur because King Arthur has long interested me and I, he's been a mystery to me trying to figure him out. 
Well, the earliest mention of King Arthur comes from the Annals, uh, Annals Cambrai. Um, and let's see who wrote that. I can't remember offhand. But it mentions specifically that King Arthur died fighting Mordred in 537 AD. So Camelot came to an end in 537. That's interesting. Now, now I'm of the opinion that uh, Camelot is the uh, the kind of the you call it the occult, the New World Order, whatever you want to call them. It's you know their side of the story. It's their it's their version of the Millennial Kingdom. And I, I'm starting seeing this that Camelot came to an end at the beginning, the kickstart of the Dark Ages. It was rudely interrupted. 537 AD, King Arthur's taken off to Avalon. You know, promised to return someday. And so I'm digging back into Arthurian literature again because I used to love this in college, and it's been a long time. So I'm reading these books again, and. I come across now keep in mind that when King Arthur was killed, he was killed in a battle fighting who the Saxons, the evil Anglo-Saxons. Well, of course, you know, uh, I pointed out that the word Saxon actually could actually mean the sons of Isaac. Isaac, sons of Isaac. Yeah. yeah. Sons of yeah. Isaac coming in. And so the Saxons were not uh, popular to the, the defeated party. The Saxons came in and ruled Britain and, I'm reading this. Uh, the history of the kings of Britain is talking about uh, uh, Merlin, and before this is before Arthur is born through a uh, Pendragon, who actually means you know Pendragon is yeah uh, he's he, he's represented yes. yeah right. yep and right. uh, th this king Vortigern is what he long story short uh, i won't get into all the details for lack of time he there's these two dragons fighting a red and a white dragon and um oh yeah i'll, I'll mention this this really freaked me out that uh in uh the paleo hebrew uh pamela's looking at the language and when aaron cast down his rod and you've done a lot of work on the the rod of uh of moshe and yahuwah uh that uh that it actually became a a tannin a tannin right. which is not a snake it's it's, it's actually right. you know it's a it's a sea serpent right it's a it's a, yeah, it's a water dragon, dragon. Yeah. and um so that freaked me out and then the egyptians one they had a tannin too they, there was two dragons fighting uh -huh. well the, the same thing is happening there's a red dragon and a white dragon now the red dragon merlin says is a representative of uh, pendragon and arthur's kingdom and the white dragon is representative of the Anglo-Saxons. And he says that the white dragon is going to, uh, the white dragon beats the red dragon. They're all disturbed. And he says that th that's because the, 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 the Saxons are about to come in and rule the British nation. They're going to uh, suppress the red. But he says that there's a time coming when the red will return, the red dragon. And it, this is the part that really got to me. He said, uh, then shall misfortunes hasten upon the white one, the white dragon, and says, and the buildings of his garden shall be pulled down. The the buildings of his and the buildings of his garden shall be pulled down. Uh, which is another it's another watcher prophecy too. How they're going to come into the you know the highways and just like trample over the cities. Um, interestingly enough, when the uh, the 1500s roll around. And we enter into right into the Enlightenment and the Protestant Reformation. We have a guy named King Henry the Seventh. Now everyone knows King Henry the Eighth and the wives of King Henry, but King Henry the Seventh, his daddy, he uh, in the War of the Roses when he finally defeated uh, one, he in it was in 
1485, I believe it was, that he raised the Red Dragon for the first time. And he raised it over in St. Paul's Cathedral. And now that Red Dragon is the flag of Wales, telling us that the Red Dragon is back in control again. I found that really interesting. His son, King Henry VIII, you know, we, you've heard a lot about uh, the world fairs and, you know, all this talk about, you know, the old cities that were destroyed and that kind of stuff. Well, interesting right. enough, King, King Henry VIII, in, with, from the years five, 1536 to 1540, just a few short years, King Henry VIII destroys 800 uh, Gothic monasteries, abbeys, nunneries, and friaries in England alone. 800. Uh, he just goes in and wipes them out. Some of these are like Glastonbury, where uh, you know Joseph of uh, Arimathea uh, was uh, living over there in Avalon. He goes uh -huh. and just wipes these out, destroys it. So we're we're seeing immediately when we come out of the Dark Ages a uh, immediate agenda to disrupt, change, destroy, uh, and alter and change these magnificent cathedrals. Uh, so I found that really interesting. Um, uh, question here for you since um, you had mentioned Glastonbury and um, you know the destruction of a lot of temples and everything that and do you um, know about the book of Tethy it it, it it brings a bell but I've never read it okay um, well we're planning on publishing this at some point when I get some time but it's the story of Jeremiah the prophet and the daughter of King David and how uh, when the you know the Babylonians were coming in to destroy everything, he first, you know, he takes out the temple uh, relics and the, the earth swallows them up and the Ark of the Covenant. And then he goes and grabs the princess and flees and they were able to make it to Egypt and they were a uh, guest there, with, but they were being held and uh, couldn't just leave on their own, but they were able to escape. And it tells the story of her, her and Jeremiah going up to the, you know, the British Isles um, and living there. And how um, one of the the kings over all the different tribes and clans, uh, he ended up marrying. Um, I believe her name was. Well, her name is Teffy, but they call her Scotus up there for, you know, Scotland and all that. But anyways, that particular book, uh, it fills in the story of how that happened and how, you know, the uh, the bloodline ended up being there in the British Isles and uh, some of that history. And then the other real quick thing uh, with regard to Glastonbury and how you had mentioned I, um, Saxons as being the sons of Isaac, that it, it was there, the Glastonbury, that Longshanks, he was trying to gain access and get hold of what was the Colburn Bible. And that was removed. One of the uh, monks was able to scoot down the wall with it and get away. And, you know, that text was released and. I think it was 2016 after it had been held for a long time, but it's like an alternative rendition uh, to the Bible as it was supposedly passed down by, you know, the, the sons of Isaac and carries a, a lot of alternative history. It even talks about the destruction of the first world age and uh, yes. speaks about the, you know, the, 
the destroyer and all that. But uh, yeah, um, comment and then we'll we got you know three minutes till break and then we'll be back after that. Well, my comment is I love the Book of Britain. You were the one that uh, I'm sorry the 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 book Colburn. I just jumped ahead of myself there. The Colburn Bible. You were yeah. the one that actually introduced me to it, Zan. I was at your house and you actually slipped it to my wife. It's like you're like, hey, you should you should totally read this. <laughs> <laughs> and right. she's like, and she's like, I see her reading it. I'm like, what is that? It's like, well, she's like, Zen gave it to me. I'm like, really? And I started, <laughs> we like, we were hooked. I've given us a, a few Bible stu studies now on my channel on um, on Book of Wisdom, Book of Britain, Book of Creation. Phenomenal, yeah, I love yeah. it. Uh, so a couple quick yeah, things on this. Uh, I have not read Book of Tepe. I'll be looking forward to reading it. I am familiar with Tepe. Um, and my view is that in our side of the realm, the, the Britain was uh, ground zero for the Millennial Kingdom. And, uh, of course, you know, as you know, Yermiyahu brought uh, probably the Stone of Scone with him. Interestingly enough, the because uh, you talk about the rod of, uh, I don't, do you call it the rod of, the rod of Yahuwah, rod of Mo Moses? Um, it, it probably yeah, the rod, of, rod of Wonder. But, yeah. Okay, rod, rod of Wonder, yeah. Uh, I am of the opinion. Uh, that I, I don't know if you covered this. I am of the opinion that uh, it was in Yahushua Hamashiach's hands and, and during his ministry, uh, specifically when we went down to Sheol, and you see all the artwork of him down there with the with the rod. Uh, and yeah, I believe, I and I think that. it, I actually, I actually think it went to Britain uh, in Joseph of Arimathea's uh, hands. You could see in the Book of Britain that his staff, after he died, uh, was able to produce uh, miracles and actually bud like Aaron's rod. Really interesting stuff. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, cool. so, so when you're tying up uh, King Arthur pulling the sword from the stone, right? and right. Uh, of course that we see that in Jasher with, uh, with Moshe doing that in Moshe, the garden of right. his father-in-law, um, you see the tie in there that uh, I, I am highly suspicious that a very similar event happened uh, to prove his worth when he came to the earth. And the whereabouts of the 500 that he may have actually pulled it from a similar garden uh, because we see that Joseph's staff was uh, uh, was left behind there. And it was there with the stone of scone and other things like that. Um, there was one thing I was going to add. Oh, yeah. Before we go to the commercial break, I'm just going to one thing I love about the Tuffy story. And I would encourage everyone out there is, you know, as we're going up on the next reset event, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh, people are just worried about what's going to happen. You know, what's going to be what is what is it going to be like on the other end? Is that when now when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he destroyed uh, uh, Yehuda, the kingdom of Yehuda, uh, he he drug off the wicked people, but the righteous people remained. And you see Yirmiyahu with Baruch, and and Nebuchadnezzar actually gives him his purse, his his personal money. He's like, you spend this on whatever you want, and that is a testimony to that the righteous. You know, the, the the wicked are are blown away like chaff, but the righteous remain. They are like a tree planted by the water. And that Yahuwah, he takes care of his own. And that's one of the things I love about that story, that he was able to, uh, Yirmiyahu was able, Jeremiah was able to uproot the kings, but then he was able to plant them um, over in Britain. All right, hold, hold that thought. All right, we'll be right back, everybody. Top of the hour.
All right. Welcome back, everybody, for a second hour. I'm your host, Zen Garcia. This is Secrets Revealed here on Truth Frequency Radio. And I'm joined by my good friend, author, writer, and web host, uh, Noel Hadley. And we are talking about, which is, of course, a very controversial topic, uh, the mud floods and millennial kingdom. I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, again, Zen, you know, as always, top of the hour. Glad I could be here. Thank you for having me. And we last we last left off talking about Britain. So before I, I say the next thing, so I covered in review uh Phoenix coming. Uh if if the Phoenix came in uh the around 30 AD, you're looking for another 500 years. So you're looking about 530. So close, but no cigar, maybe. I don't know, because then we're looking at the year 536, just six years off. Uh, for the what I call the fire reset events, and then uh, 537, the death of King Arthur and Camelot, and uh, the, that's when the the Saxons invaded. I would actually love, love, love to. Uh, well, I probably shouldn't. Well, I'll say this, but then someone else is going to run off and do it before I do. I would love to take uh, the the was it the War Scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the Battle of the Sons of Light and Darkness, and try to see yeah. if I can over overlay that with the the 500s narrative. Um, because it's interesting, yeah. Because the idea is is that the the sons of light actually lose some of the original battles, but then it's like this long event. It's not like just an overnight thing. It's it's like decades, right? That they're they're fighting all over the world to conquer. Right. Um. Uh, So real quick, um, I was just gonna make mention um uh, about this timeline and the fifty five hundred years. Even though you know, as far as the millennial reign having happened. We have disagreements on that, but I definitely do think that the 5,500-year timeline, that there was prophecy, even that the Messiah told Adam while he was in paradise in the garden that it would be 5,500 years after his being banished that he would uh, come in and take on mortal form and be born of his bloodline. And so there's, without a doubt, some kind of discrepancy because i had always thought you know 2000 years from adam to abraham 2000 years from abraham to christ and then 2000 years from uh the first inception to what would be you know the uh millennial reign and that would be a 6000 year timeline but i also had seen in numerous places um the Gospel of Nicodemus uh, was one that mentioned this timeline and even broke it down with, you know, all the things that had happened in the world. Details are very pretty clearly. Um, and then there's the a, the book of the angel Abaddon, and it also speaks about this prophecy. I, I found three really clear confirming witnesses also found in one of the primary Adamic literature on the life of Adam and Eve. Uh, about how Christ would come, you know, this five and a half days, uh, as it mentions in the first book of Adam and yeah. Eve, which were, you know, the uh, much longer time. So there, there is some kind of weirdness with the timeline and with history and uh, how all that uh, comes out. But one last thing, and that's uh, regarding, I did a sh- two shows actually with um, Kent Smith and S. Douglas Woodward, and he wrote a book called Rebooting History, uh, where he takes that same, the timeline from the Septuagint 
uh, and how it aligns with this 5,500 years as well. So, um, th- so you know, the, very interesting as far as that particular prophecy. And I do, without a doubt, believe it was filled in that manner. I did not know that, Tim. I did not know that you were an LXX timeline guy. Um, so that's that's the. I always I always just maybe figured you were a Masoretic uh, timeline guy. So uh, that's a that's that's news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, I um, in, I wrote a book called The Ancient Prophecies of Christ, and I'll, I'll have to send it to you. There's a whole chapter about this prophecy and how you know the numerous witnesses of it and how. And I even wrote about the in that book about how, uh, you know, the mud fossils, the Tartarian kingdom, all that, um, that it could fill in some of this time. I don't know exactly. And I can't tell anybody, you know, because I, I don't read a lot of commentary, um, you know, church fathers and things. I just yeah. read a lot of the ancient manuscripts and that's where I, I learn the things that I do. But uh, yeah, really- there's. There's multiple witnesses on that. Go ahead. Yeah, a, a couple things on that um, is what you know. What's interesting. So anyone listening out there, the the, the Hebrew Masoretic that we have, the the old every Old Testament basically we have, uh, is is you know, and you know this it's like a, a thousand years uh, in, younger than the Greek LXX, and it appears that the 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 New Testament is quoting from the Greek LXX because. When we actually line up in our Bibles, the quotes don't always fit real well. And we're like, well, what's going on with this? But then you see that they were quoting the Greek LXX. And so the church fathers, they had – that was the Bible they had in their possession. Like they, they're they all quoting from that. And then all of a sudden, you know, eventually the, the Masoretic springs onto the scene and it becomes the new authority. Um, I was going to say – oh, yeah. There, I, I've written quite – I'm not going to go into all tonight. I don't have time. I, I've gone written a lot of different papers trying to work out uh, how this works. How can it possibly work? Uh, looking at the Masoretic timeline, looking at the Greek LXX, and it appears I'm not the only one because some of the church fathers. Uh, oh, a, a book that um, you publish that I love is "The Travels of No One to Europe." Very and fascinating text. Yeah. yeah yeah, that one they talk about uh, there being like three different Nimrods. If you pay attention to it, there was yeah, there uh-huh. was the original Nimrod the giant who built the the Tower of Babel. Uh, Abraham never met that Nimrod. He met the um, uh, there was a Nimrod after him, and then the third Nimrod that Abraham met, and then I speculate there was a fourth Nimrod that um, that was killed by uh, Esau, and. It, 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 I did a whole paper on it, just showing through using that source, other sources, other church fathers uh, who were trying to work out this timeline themselves and really interesting stuff. So, uh, but I will uh, say that, uh, that I mentioned that there's a, a Nimrod mentioned in the lost book of King Og as well. And that this was um, an antediluvian giant uh, and that he was at war against um og and his son ogdius uh that there were these you know how in the the book of enoch it says that the giant tribes would be brought against each other to decimate and that the watchers would have to watch their children murder each other Uh, but anyways that lost book of king og it talks about that and these you know the war between these giants and one is led by nimrod who was you know a giant before the flood 
and so yeah zen you took the words right out of my mouth that's amazing i actually covered that very thing and i because that was a, one of the things i was looking at that uh nimrod appears to be a uh pre-diluvian uh a ruach a spirit you know uh, that uh, basically was embodied again and um of course you know then you see other texts like the um of course you know it, you know uh the book the last book of king og is like one of the most blasphemous books out there it's like very uncomfortable to even read that book out loud uh but it's really interesting how epic it is uh, as the floodwaters are coming in Right. And they're like, you know, it's like the the war of the there was like hundreds of thousands like of giants, and they're just like going uh -huh. into battle and sending demons into each other and attack. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy. It is it's so crazy. It's like uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, so um, I, I was gonna say one more thing on the timeline. Interesting enough that the the Greek Alexis timeline, when you push it back. And you add another, like, what was it, several hundred years at least more to go back to Noah and the flood is that it actually fits perfectly with archaeology. When, you know, when you look at uh, the, according to Travels of Noah to Europe, uh, Osiris and Isis, uh, Osiris was actually a righteous guy. And uh, he was friends with Melchizedek. And, um, and, but it being that the, and I actually, I think identified him as the first pharaoh of Egypt, and it fits perfectly with the uh, with the the timeline. It fits perfectly, and of course, after his death, and you know, Isis did her thing, and uh, then he started becoming worship as as a god, and they got into the, the the mysteries of Isis, and that's a whole different thing. But according to that book, the the actual historical Osiris was a righteous guy who was good friends with Melchizedek, um, even though you know Ham is running all over the place. You know toppling thrones and right know, doing terrible things uh all right so there was one more thing i want to talk about this timeline that i found was interesting and i'm not even going to cover tonight how perfectly it fits like a glove this theory of when the millennial kingdom came to an end the dark ages came to an end and we go into the age of enlightenment which is actually just you know or willing language it's the age of rebellion so on and so forth. They're taking the technology. They're building very different things. They're coming out with all their artwork, their statues, and technical, technologically advanced time. Uh, you know, like you look at the statues and things like that. Like they, you can't even replicate that. Like it, you, you need like you know, three D printer type technology. It's just absolutely incredible stuff uh, that they were doing. But there's one more thing I want to cover. And before I say this, one one of the other things I see a lot on uh, like YouTube channels and things like that is this idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? And it's always like, oh, we're in the second horseman now and that kind of thing. Well, the th my view on the four horsemen is I believe that there are four actual entities. There are actually four spiritual entities. And of course, you know, the first horseman would be uh, politics, false religion, propaganda, which then brings about the second horseman, which is war, which then brings about this, the third horseman, which is famine, and then finally death, right? And so you can see these, these four horsemen riding around the earth. You know, they're released every so often, almost like the angels holding back the winds and the four corners or whatever. And um, World War II is a great example of that. World War II just was a time to suck to be alive. You're either running alongside a tank uh, you're, you know, dodging the bombs every night in the air raids, or you're being thrown in a concentration camp, right? I mean, it just, it, it was a terrible time. 
and great you know great example of the four horsemen riding around at that time so so review this 537 fire event end of camelot 537 then i came across the year 541 and uh this was something because in 541 you have a, a historian named procopius and procopius is in constantine noble and he is writing about this disease that he said swept over the earth within like a six-month period and basically almost eliminated the human race. He says that by which the whole human race came near to being annihilated. Now, you can look this guy up online, and here's what they were not going to tell you. You know how like in you you read like the, the diaries of Marco Polo or Lewis and Clark? They talk about a lot of things, but they always leave out the, the really good juicy stuff like the giants they met and stuff like that. Well, uh -huh. Procopius talks about that this disease, when it came to wipe out the earth, that the people who were struck with this disease that would cause them to go raving mad and die a horrible death, um, that they would be visited they would actually see a spiritual entity that would come and visit them and that the spiritual entity would come up to them and either touch them or whisper in their ear and say that they were numbered amongst the dead or whatever it, it got so bad uh that the the spirits would come and knock on their door and they would hide in their beds and they wouldn't answer the door sometimes it might just be their friends coming over knocking the door and people weren't answering the door according to this historian because they were so afraid of death coming and knocking this is where we get the idea of the grim reaper knocking on the door right he knocks on your door your numbers up you know beethoven dun 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 you know and um <laughs> so i was blown away by this and um and he of course he was saying that the, the the bodies were stacking up so fast that they at first they were robbing other people's tombs and then they were just leaving on the streets and the houses for weeks. Uh, then they were just piling, they, they were counting up to, um, let's see, how many were dying a day at one point? I can't even remember. It was in the thousands. I mean, it was just so many. They stopped, they finally stopped counting. And they would just take people by cartloads and just dump them off the cliff. I mean, they're just, there were so many wow. dead. They didn't know what to do with them. And so yeah. this is really interesting. And this is when I think that leads us into the, the, the Millennial Kingdom events. And this was a worldwide event. Um, and what I also did was, is that I actually matched this up with uh, apocalyptic literature. Now, uh, my belief, of course, uh, you know, and it's totally cool out there if anyone believes revelation is still future tense i'm not attacking anyone i'm just stating my opinion my opinion is that revelation was fulfilled by 70 ad i think it's a perfect fit to the destruction of jerusalem um and uh the, the babylon was the the, uh, the destruction of the, the the whore of babylon was yehuda you can only be a whore if you're in a covenant of uh, a marriage with uh yahuwah to begin with um and um so uh, what, what I started noticing, and you were the one actually that got me really excited about apocalyptic literature. I, I bought the book, you know, you, you came out with like the Great Commission. And in the third one, you know, you had like all the apocalyptic stuff. And I, I'm, I'm just devouring this stuff. Yeah. And, but, I started, but for me, I started noticing that it's, again, this is just me, that I, I felt very detached from Revelation. And this is years ago before I even I started looking into all this stuff. And um, I, I started theorizing that the, uh, the, they're, they're, they're writing of a very different apocalyptic event. And there's one in particular from, uh, I, I, I source, uh, the apocalypse of Thomas. And he talks about the seven days of the apocalypse. And it goes uh -huh. through each one. 
and he he talks about he 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 totally covers like i show in order where he goes through the the 536 event the sun is destroyed the i mean that the sun goes away refuses shine gives us light the stars the moon the the darkness the fire and then he goes into what really got to me was where he said uh, let's see if i can find this for you um uh yeah now i can't find it um well he talks about the an incident when uh, after all that, he says that the the righteous angels will come through, poke through the firmament and reveal themselves to men. And he says that men will flee in terror and terror, mind you, from righteous angels. Right. Because and I, I point out that, you know, wicked people are going to see a righteous angel angel and they're going to think it's a, a, a wicked angel. Right. Uh, it's going to be ter terrifying to them. And that they were fleeing, that they would flee into like the holy places and that the angels would still follow them and inflict them with the disease. Well, this is exactly what Procopius said. He said that when these spirits came, that they would start crying out and trying to repent and throw like names in the name of, he never said they said like in the name of Yahushua HaMashiach or Jesus Christos or anything like that. It would be like in the name of St. George or whatever, you know, and uh and they would have no effect on them. So I found that really interesting. That's the last thing I wanted to add to that. Um, I did a lot of work too on the Quran, and I actually went down to a local bookstore and I decided to read the Quran. Uh, read, I was surprised how easy it was to read. It was only like like novel length, like 350 pages. Um, and I, I have a big thing on that, how I believe that was actually total propaganda against the, the kingdom and uh, trying to get people out of a covenant relationship with Yahushua HaMashiach. Uh, but uh, the last thing I wanted to cover tonight is another, and whether or not anybody wants to believe that the Millennial Kingdom happened or not, or does or doesn't, this is applicable to everybody. And uh, when I talk about the hidden wilderness, I wrote a whole, whole book called The Hidden Wilderness, and uh, it, it was inspired by a simple passage in Second Ezra chapter 7, verses 26. And it says this, For behold, the time will come. When the signs which I foretold to you will come to pass, that the city, and of course the city is talking about New Jerusalem, which now is not seen, shall appear, and the land which now is hidden shall be disclosed. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. What, what, is, what in the world is that? What is this land that is going to be disclosed when New Jerusalem? So this land doesn't exist to us now. But when New Jerusalem comes down, the land will exist. And this opened up an investigation. At first, I thought, oh, it would be like 20-page papers. Like oh, no, it ended up being you know, a huge novel-length book, right? Just starting pouring through all these books to talk about this hidden wilderness. And what I quickly came to learn is uh, realize is that when the, the Flat Earth uh, movement took off back in 2015, we got all these details great i mean we're looking at hebrew cosmology we're looking at the flat earth the, the firmament dome you, you had the whole book on the dome the vaulted dome of the earth uh and the, the 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 great deep and all this kind of stuff and the one thing we missed on this was the blessed land the 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 the, the uh the blessed land or the the, the hidden wilderness or i should say the un, the, the undying land and uh, here's another one right here from first adam and eve and it says uh, on the third day uh, Elohim planted the garden in the east of the earth on the border of the world eastward, beyond which towards the rising sun one finds nothing but water that encompasses the whole world and reaches to the border of heaven. Now, uh, back in the day, I would have said that the border of heaven 
uh, is a reference to the firmament. It is, uh, but it's more than that. Uh, this is here in the book of Enoch. It talks about, let, let's just, it talks about this. It says, but the male is named behemoth who occupied with his breast a waste wilderness. So it's saying that the behemoth is a waste wilderness named uh, Judean on the east of the garden. So this is further east in the garden, further out in the garden. And it says where the elect and righteous dwell, present tense. All right. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm finding all these things that I had never seen before. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this is really interesting. I want to find out more. Um, and eventually I get to the book Visions of Paul. And yeah, great I love book. That. Yeah. And um, Visions of Paul, he talks about the hidden wilderness and he says that uh you, you go beyond the that you go beyond the circuit of the sun and the moon and you go into total darkness the sun and the moon aren't even there anymore and it's just ice and darkness and you keep going and you keep going over the ocean and then boom you hit the land you hit the land of the the, the blessed land the undying land and he says that that is he says when you get there that is where there is a uh, a light that is brighter than anything our own sun would show, but it is, of course, the, the light of, uh, of Yahuwah. It's the light of New Jerusalem. And uh, it said that that is where New Jerusalem will be when it comes down to Earth. And then what really tripped me out is I'm reading a bunch of different books and I'm just uncovering more and more and more and more. Uh, oh, I will. Well, what really tripped me out is when I read the book Pearl, which is considered by historians to be the uh, the most sacred find of the the dark ages um and it's a story of a man who actually uh, goes to the hidden wilderness uh to visit his uh because his daughter died and um, apparently in the book she's one of the 144,000 but uh he goes there and he all the characteristics are all the same in all these books, uh, but they he goes there and he actually sees New Jerusalem. He's able to see it from afar. He can't approach it. But it was the idea that in this time period, they believed that New Jerusalem was already on the earth. And I was, I was like, what? What in the world? Because one of the big things people ask me all the time, they, they fall for the Bill Nye fallacy with the flat earth. He, you know, he would look out of the ocean. He's like, you know, where's China? You know, yeah. And it's like, I can't see it because there's a curve there, right? It's like, no, there's actually other reasons you can't see China. Um, but the, the idea is, is that Yahuwah, he surrounds himself with darkness. And uh, another oh, another great book that talks about this is uh, the it's called The Narrative of Zosimos. And um, it talks about that uh, there were disciples of Jeremiah, of Yirmiyahu, um, even though he went to Britain, that they actually were able to go to the hidden wilderness and live there. Um, and they talk about this too, about how there's darkness that surrounds it. And people will look at me and go, oh, well, my God doesn't have darkness surrounding him. Well, a great example of this is that in the uh, Exodus account, when they're, when Yasharel is going up against the Red Sea, they're at Mount uh, Baal-Zephon, and uh, Pharaoh is charging in to take him out, and Yahuwah goes down as the, the pillar of fire, and he's light and illumination to Yasharil, but total darkness to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that's the idea that he can, uh, he can, uh, you know, completely, completely cover his holiness so it cannot be seen. Now, the one thing I wanted to mention real quick about this uh, is, and I've, I've talked to you in the past, as and I brought it to you a couple of times, like when I went to your house and visited, I said, hey, have you ever looked into the moon map? The moon map is unbelievable. I don't know why people aren't doing uh, backflips over this. I might have talked about this last time I was on your show. I don't know. 
it's it's a most incredible thing because for years um like back in 2016 and the whereabouts and we're all looking at the ae map um i like the ae map i i wasn't really ready to sponsor it uh but now you i'm totally sold on the ae map now you know there's no perfect map out there i mean i remember rob skiba back in the day when he was going to get into that uh debate with um uh oh man uh ken ham yeah i i that would have been awesome if he did but uh and oh, I you remember can't hoven not kit kit hoven not yeah not ken ham of uh, yeah kit hoven yeah yeah wrong wrong yeah. creation guy um and, right. and and kit hoven is making a big deal about uh the the ae map and i remember uh schema's rebuttal he's like he's like okay if we're gonna argue maps and i'll pick this one map and you can debate this one map but you got to pick one globe earth map one and he showed like a whole chart of like you know 30 different uh, maps you know and it's like which one are you going to pick right uh, because there is no right. perfect map uh but the amazing thing about our moon is that you can see the ae map on our moon you can see our entire realm on the moon uh, and i talked about this at the, the conference as well uh where uh I, my belief is that the moon is a composite image it's actually a negative image that was snapped snapped of the earth probably during the recreation event and uh amazingly you can see lumeria right there uh, the continent of lumeria Mu, right where they said it was unbelievable uh and you can see florida you can see north and south america you can see right where we're at on the moon you can see hyperborea and uh but then that's just like one third of the greater realm. The, the greater realm, it's this huge, it's just, it's just like what uh, Admiral Byrd talked about. How about, you know, there's a, there's a continent bigger than North America and it, there is, it's huge. Well, I, I've shown that that is exactly where the hidden wilderness is. It, just like they say, you go across ocean and ocean and ocean past the circuit of the sun and the moon through total darkness and boom, there it is. So it should be all a land of ice. Um, but uh, we know that it's a land that is uh, is lit. And as I pointed, as I've talked about before, uh, Bob Nodal of Globusters, he made popular what he called the coffee cup experiment, where you could shine a light into a coffee cup and you could show how around the coffee cup it, it lights up. And uh, he, he used that to show the firmament that that the sun could could bounce off the firmament and it could it could like wrap around the firmament and light all that area up. Well, that's what you see. Um, that's what would happen on that side of the earth if New Jerusalem or uh, the um, you know the, the light of Allah Hayyam is is over there, and this is where I believe we get a lot of the crescent moon uh, symbology. Uh, the, the, there's a crescent moon, and then the the darkness within, uh, the outer darkness. And um, like my own state of South Carolina, the original flag was the crescent moon with the uh, with the word liberty on it, which is really interesting. When people think of the crescent moon, they think of Islam, but Islam didn't even adapt the crescent moon until the 1800s, like the Ottoman Empire. Uh, it, it's a very new thing for them. So, uh, but you see the the crescent moon all throughout esoteric history, all throughout the the the, the Middle Ages, and so on and so forth. Uh, hold on, hold on to that thought. We're at final break. We'll be right back in three minutes. As a bookstore for truth seekers, it's our goal to make ancient manuscripts, which were once held captive by secretive institutions, available for public consideration. 
In our generation where wisdom has increased, as Daniel the prophet foretold, we have access to many of the testimonies our early church brethren were persecuted for preserving. After being hidden for centuries, these manuscripts have been leaked from various sources throughout the earth, and it's our goal to gather these sources into printable form to make available for all who seek the ancient way. If you're looking to deepen your studies of the biblical narrative, find these ancient manuscripts and more at sacredwordpublishing.com. Your partnership with Sacred Word Publishing goes further than the publishing of ancient manuscripts and weekly video content. You also make a huge impact across the earth in orphanages in Myanmar, India, Uganda, and Kenya. Your support is crucial for the development of the Ecclesia of Real Truth Seekers. We thank you for joining us in hosting Secrets Revealed, Momentary Zen, the Digital Readers Club, Ask Me Anything series, and other shows that have helped lead so many to the truth of salvation. To become even more involved, please visit patreon.com slash sacredwordpublishing where you can partake in exclusive, interactive, patron-only content and help us continue shining the light of love in this darkened world. That it will come down and that it will be after the earth is recreated that there will be, uh, you know, it will descend down here and then it will be on the earth that Yahushua reigns with us for that um, millennial age and that Christ, you know, uh, says that we don't even need the light of the sun because he is the light uh, for that particular time. Um, so, and then with, you know, the New Jerusalem descendant, how do you see that? And then also, if you could uh, tell us what you think about the mark of the beast and what that was and um, how that played out. Yeah, so... 
And those are great questions. And um, okay, so let me just before, so I'm going to answer Mark of the Beast and New Jerusalem. Uh, let me just say one thing before I do, because I'll forget this, is that another big moment for me in understanding the greater realm uh, co cosmologically is I was reading Josephus, you know, minding my own business, as I often do. And and he talks. He was talking about the Essenes, and he was talking about. Um, I'm trying to get through like his two volumes right now. I have uh, his histories of War of the of the Yahudim, and he's talking about the Essenes, and he said that they believe cosmologically as the Greeks do. And I was like, wait, what? And he said that um, I'm trying to find his exact quote here. I'm gonna botch this, but um, oh, let's see here. That's not it. That's not it whatever he um he talks about how they oh here it is he says in in harmony with the opinion of the greeks they say that for the good souls there is a life beyond the ocean and a region which is never molested either with showers or snow or intense heat is always refreshed with the gentle gales of wind constantly breathing from the ocean while to the wicked souls they assign a dark and cold corner full of never ceasing punishments now, I'm like, wait, what in the world do Essenes believe this? Well, um, I started looking into this, and what he is actually describing is Elysian Fields. And this was actually a very prominent view. Uh, you can see this going all back to Homer and further, where they actually believed that there was a, a physical place in the material realm that was spiritual and that the mortals could not go to and uh, only only spirits of the righteous could go to. And so like that scene in Gladiator where, you know, it, it, it shows at the very beginning, he's like yeah. running his hand along the wheat, but he goes to the battle with the, the Germans. And then at the end, well, I'll give away the ending. I'm sorry, cover your ears, everyone, for the next five seconds if you haven't seen it. But, you know, he, he dies and he goes to Elysian Fields uh, or Elysium. And that's actually, uh, it's actually on this earth. It's not another dimension or realm. It's actually here physically on this earth. That's what they believed. And that was actually a huge worldwide belief cosmologically uh, back then. And to see uh, see visions of Paul talk about that and others, it was in uh, uh, Adam and Eve and so on. That was, that was just, that was like a, a game changing moment for me uh, as it ties in with the moon map. Now, uh, all, all that to say, the reason I keep bringing up the moon map is that it's it's almost like when we started looking into the flat earth and uh, uh, and we had all these confirmations with the firmament and things like that. It, it's one of those confirmations for me that you can actually see the firmament. It's, it's the only known photograph of the firmament. You can actually see it on the moon. It's that Billy Button shape that would be the North Star of Polaris. Gives it the round, uh, gives it the round uh, spherical shape. Uh, you're actually seeing the arch of the firmament. And, um, and, you know, you could see the greater realm in there. Now, in terms of New Jerusalem, I think last, uh, the first time I came on your show and I talked about this, probably a couple of years now, uh, at that time, I was of the opinion that New Jerusalem uh, did not come down until after the Millennial Kingdom, which, uh, or after the short season. Um, and I would say that it didn't come down to the earth now. Now, my own readership and followers are, despairing because they're like, no, you're flip-flopping. I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm kind of just going according to where the investigation is. I just want what the, the scripture shows me. And I am convinced that it actually is on the earth now, um, that it did come down. At, I don't know when. At some point it came down, and it's on the earth and in the greater realm. This realm is a huge place. And uh, 
you know, if it was in North America, like you could track it, it would be like from San Diego to Yellowstone National Park. That would be a huge swath of land, right? It's gigantic, that city. Um, I do not agree that it's like this big cube or things like that. Uh, there is passages in, in uh, where is it? Uh, was it Zachariah? I can't remember where it is now, where it says how like it would, it describes that Jerusalem as uh, like a bunch of cow pastures and different cities and more cow. It's just like an ongoing, big, you know, huge kind of uh, uh, society type of place. Uh, at least that's my view of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's here on the earth. It, uh, hopefully that answered your question. And then I already forgot the other question you had asked. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I'll, I'll hit you up with it again. Uh, but, um, you know, with regard to New Jerusalem, do you think that the the city is as it is described in Revelation with all the, you know, the streets of gold and all the different um, stones, uh, you know, for the 12 tribes, the different yes, gates? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, you know, you know what? Another trip out, the trippy thing is that the the foundations are the apostles, and then the gates are the patriarchs. I think that's kind of interesting that the, you know, the the <laughs> the people, the twelve who came later, actually get the the foundations. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's. I think that's uh, that's a a, a perfect. Uh, description of it. I, I don't doubt that in, in, in any way. Oh, the other one was the mark of the beast. That's what you asked about. Oh, yeah. Now, I have... Before we go there, I got to bring up one other point. Uh, and just, you know, again, with regard to the uh, story in the scripture, because um, we see that, you know, Lazarus and the, the rich man, um, that Lazarus is, you know, above and the rich man is down in Sheol, which, you know, I believe that the place of condemnation is within the interior of the earth. And that's also the domain of legion. Um, you know, and again, I, the, the new Jerusalem descends out of the heavens and it will be Christ reigning here with us. And that this city would be unique and that, you know, it says openly that, uh, you would call all the nations to come and to, to, worship uh from kadesh to kadesh and from shabbat to shabbat um and that you know if they don't they don't receive rain and um and then uh so what do you think about that and then yeah go into the the mark of the beast if you would yeah okay so i, I yeah full full agreement on your cosmologies and that yes sheol is down below us now uh and it, you know interesting enough of course you know about uh you know uh Tartary and uh, Tartarus, and you see that connection there. And mm. so a lot of people are talking about Tartaria, and um, I do not connect Tartaria with the Millennial Kingdom. Um, I am more and more of the mindset that Tartaria, uh, I talk about the geological columns, and we see all this uh, Reformation, Renaissance, well, Renaissance architecture come out afterwards, the big vaulted domes and the um, I don't think domes are evil, uh, but we, we, you know, the Corinthian pillars, things, it's like they were taking the millennial kingdom or the, the I, I could say, you know, the, uh, the medieval architecture and they were changing it, same technology. Um, and um, that I almost wonder if this whole Tartaria thing is um, an unleashing, it's almost something connected with Tartarus. Um, like I haven't really put my finger on that yet. I'm still thinking through that, but it's kind of in my thinking and, uh, the fact of the matter is, and I'm sorry if this, you know, offends anybody out there um, who may be on my side of this, 
but I, I find I find the almost the entire uh, mud flood uh, Tartaria discussion to be a very antichrist uh, spirit uh, discussion. There, there's just it's not like it was in the uh, the early days of the flat Earth, where it was like all these good old Baptist boys, you know, discussing like exoterically the Bible, you know, in the flat Earth. It, it's 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 very almost anti-biblical at this point. Uh, the you know a, a lot of it, and uh, I almost feel like a like this lighthouse in the you know in this trying to be a beacon in this this kind of uh, dark session um yeah so, okay. I, I see um and and you know this has nothing to do with you or uh but i i do see like you know people that are connecting as far as the the tartarian mud floods they are also you know accepting and buying into the the philosophy that the ancient aliens created us and that um uh, somehow, you know, which I believe that's all strong delusion and that that's where we're moving next, that um, that's going to be the declaration that all the people are going to be deceived into bowing to, you know, the fallen angels and that they're going to believe the History Channel, the whole thing that the ancient aliens created us and that they left and they're coming to save us from ourselves with, you know, bringing in this golden age and all that. Um, yeah, and I don't. I don't even want to say who that. Yeah, you're right. And I. Um, and I don't even want to say the person's name. I, I don't. You know, I don't want to attack anybody or anything like that. But just yeah, talking about ideas here. There is. There's a one of the main Tartarian guys out there. Uh, he has a huge following, very influential. And uh, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why all these people are coming to me who are proclaiming that the God of the Old Testament, I'm saying that because I don't even want to connect his name with Satan, but that the, the God of the Old Testament is Satan. And uh, that the first half of the Bible, the, the, the whole Old Testament was written by Satan. Um, right. and, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and it's a growing movement. It's on the rise. Um, I'm trying to, you know, stand my ground and and um, attack this. Uh, you know, play defense and maybe even offense. Uh, uh -huh. But I found out that one of the the biggest I finally figured out where it was coming from is one of the big Tartarian guys, and he's pushing this. So I say all that because it, 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 that's the reality, unfortunately, amongst a lot of these people. Um, and uh, right. it saddens me. So moving on to okay, the uh, Shabbat issue um, and. I'll be, I'll I'll play I'll play uh, the the Rob Skeeber role here because I you know I uh, you're you're a lunar uh, solar guy and I know uh, Rob Skeeber was a, a, a seventh day guy right. and uh, and um, and I'm not saying I, I just want you to know I want everyone to, I am not saying that the, uh, the the I think that the lunar solar has some great points there are some really really great points it makes me go huh okay uh, that that could be. Um, but here's one piece of evidence. I am a seventh day, you know, every seven, 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 the day that happens to land on Saturday, uh, seventh day guy. All right. And um, and I just want to I just want to observe. I just my heart is I just want to obey the Sabbath, whatever the Sabbath is. Just show me when the Sabbath is and I'll keep it. But this is something that Rob Skiba talked about a long time ago. And I, I remember it never really made sense to me at the time. And he was talking about how every single major language on the earth, uh, outside of English, English is a modern kind of short season, post almost mud flood invention. And you look at like Welsh and 
you know, uh, medieval English. It's it's almost like a foreign language. That's almost unrecognizable. But um, so uh, you know, it's it's almost like a straw man misdirection. The whole English Saturday thing. But uh, every single major language on the earth is uh, it has Shabbat on the same day on the seventh day, which is our Saturday. And I remember him talking about this, and and I don't want to misquote him or anything like that. But he was talking about how he was trying to theorize. He's like, how how did this happen? He's like, well, maybe maybe uh, when Israel was cast out of the land, they they went all over the world and they they had the day, you know, they changed the Sabbath. And I'm thinking, well, that can't be. That can't be because they were kicked out of the land for not keeping the Sabbath. So why are they kicked out of the land for not keeping the Sabbath? The Sabbath is taken from them, and now they're going all over the world, and they're convincing these different governments of the world to change the day of Sabbath. That makes no sense to me. But then one day I was like, what? Like. It, it, it's actually residue. It's actually millennial kingdom residue that all over the world, we have residue that people were keeping the seventh day on Saturday, all over the world, the Sabbath. Uh, so that, that's in, in relation to the idea of, you know, that they had to keep the high, the high Sabbaths and if they, and the Sabbaths that they didn't right, they would be cursed. Right. Uh, they would have to have representatives and, you know, go to the uh, Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that's my point on that. Now, in, terms of the mark of the beast um i think that the mark of the beast is identified with the sabbath all right now i want to tell everyone out there all right i there obviously there's some things you know that i can't say we don't want to trigger anything on youtube or whatever right but <laughs> what just use our imagination everyone knows what we're talking about uh yeah. but you know let's just say the word nephilim right like there you know we know that before the flood we had uh, the the mixing of species and all sorts of stuff. Everything was becoming mixed and unclean, and 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 so you know we're seeing similar things happening today. All right, so I'm just telling everyone out there, please don't think that I'm telling you to become a nephilim. All right, I am not advocating that anyone becomes a nephilim. I when I have a daughter and I have a, a two sons and maybe another child on the way. I, unfortunately, when they're of age, I'm going to be asking for uh, full records, right? Uh, like whoever they're marrying, to make sure they're pure, you know, pure children <laughs> that they're marrying. That's the day and age we live in. Um, however, yeah. specifically with the mark of the beast, and this is why I started out saying that I think that the, the mark of the beast is tied in with the Sabbath. I really do. Uh, the it's the mark of the beast. I believe it is a spiritual thing that it, we, they were told, they were warned um that if you take the mark you can only buy and sell if you take the mark well what is the one day you cannot buy or sell on it is sabbath which well, just so happens to be the mark of yahuwah if you if you if you take the mark of yahuwah which is talked about in, in uh exodus i think leviticus i think ezekiel and jeremiah maybe talked about it again um but uh the mark of yahuwah is keeping the sabbath day Right, and you can't buy or sell. So for me, when I look at the mark, the the the, the mark is not a warning that was written two thousand years ago for some people in some ancient time. Like all these generations are going to pass. Don't worry, you're not going to have to take the mark. But there's going to be some generation that it's like no, 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 no. The mark of the beast is a decision that every single generation has to make. We all have to make it. We've all been making it our entire lives. Is don't take the mark. Take the mark of Yah. Um, and that's where I said the cross reference. So that's my idea and what the mark is. Um, and um, it, it, yeah, I do, I do think there were other things coming into the 70 AD generation. Uh, I, I think that maybe the idol of jealousy came into it. I can't prove this. 
but you know when um was it oh i don't have the notes in front of me i think it was ezekiel and he sees the idol of jealousy and then the same thing happens in the apocalypse of abraham i think it is where we went over that where he sees the idol of jealousy and um i i kind of suspect i highly suspect that because we saw this practice all over the world uh, leading up to 70 AD, where you couldn't go into some of the marketplaces unless if you uh, burnt some incense to the uh, the emperor. You just say a quick prayer. You you know you you basically get a little mark on your forehead or your hand, and you're good to go. You go into the marketplace. You know how many Christians uh, did that just so they could eat a meal, right? And I highly suspect that there was a idol of jealousy put up like up by the north gate. Uh, or somewhere like that, where uh, the the Jews, they, they almost like the temple controllers showed face, maybe leading up to when Vespasian or Titus came in to destroy it. And to, to, to everyone has to understand that to the first century Yehudans, to be uh, to not have entrance into the temple for them, that's like not it's like being cast out from the presence of Yah. You see this when uh, Yahusha heals the blind man, and his own parents are ashamed to even identify with their son after he's healed because they're so afraid of the temple controllers. They don't want to be kicked out of the temple because for them, if they're kicked out of the temple, they lose their they're cut off from Yahuwah, from their from their from their Elohim. Uh, and so I think that maybe if that that situation did happen, that a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, he will understand. I'm just doing this. I'm just saying this little prayer and getting this little mark, uh, just so I can go in and actually worship my God." Um, I do suspect something like that. But again, going back on it, it's the mark for me is something that every single generation, every single person listening, we have been doing this our entire lives. We have been choosing one or the other. You choose either the mark of the beast or the mark of Yah. It's one or the other. Um, this is why the Sabbath day is so important. And I, I will go back on, you know, on this debate because we all can't agree on when the, uh, the, the day is. Some people are, are lunar Sabbath. Some people are seventh day. Um, I would even say this to Sunday uh, Sunday keepers. Now, of course, the Roman Catholic, you, all you need to do is 15 minutes of research to find out that the Roman Catholic Church claimed that that's their day and that they swapped it. They actually made fun of Martin Luther. They wrote him letters. And I'm like, you know, you claim you're, you're, you left Rome, but you're still keeping our Sabbath day. And by our authority, we changed it, you know. Um, so, but e even that being said, that I, I think on this issue, that I think what Yahuwah wants to see from us is he wants to see us like be able to get along in a room and disagree. I really do. Um, I think that's truly what he wants. And I would say to anyone out there, if you are convicted that it is Sunday that you are supposed to keep the Sabbath on, then keep it. Like, don't go out to uh, Starbucks and get coffee for your Bible study. Don't go get donuts. Don't go to brunch. Like, keep the Sabbath, right? Um, and I think that that has been complete. Like, if you were to go to a, a time travel to America to the 1950s, like America shut down on Sundays. You know, they, they like restaurants, businesses that shut down because people took it seriously. For them, it was their right. Sabbath. Um, and so I would say that that uh, whatever somebody decides, uh, whatever they're convicted. You know, looking at the evidence, you look at the evidence in Scripture. You go, okay, I'm a lunar lunar solar. I'm seventh day. I'm Sunday. You look at the evidence and you keep it. Um, none of this excuses about how Jesus is my Sabbath rest. It's like, well, that's great. He's your Sabbath rest. Well, it, he's also your bread and your water. So apparently you don't need to eat. You don't need to drink and you don't need to rest. 
you know, teach me breatharian because that's unbelievable. Like I've never met anybody who doesn't need to eat, sleep or, or drink uh, before because, you know, Jesus is all of these things, right? Uh, you guys don't know. I'm getting a little sarcastic. You guys know what I mean. Yes. I want to bring up one last point with regard to you. Um, we know that the Yahuwah would never break his own law, um, and especially in regard to Sabbath. So I, I just bring up this one story for consideration, and it has to do with the, the march around Jericho, how you know that had occurred for seven days. Uh, and if that order, if you know Sabbath is every seven days perpetually, then how would it make sense that the Israelites uh, would be ordered to do that, you know, to, to do the seven-day march? But we get the, the answer, and this also comes up with Isaiah 66, where we see that, again, from the celebration will be from Kadesh to Kadesh and uh, from Shabbat to Shabbat. And that also aligns with, and I do believe that, you know, this is the calendar that the uh, Israelites are following because it's only on the Kadesh that this day is excluded from what is the seven-day count, uh, you know, and that the Sabbaths align with the quarterly phases of the moon. So I just bring this one story up for consideration, and this is from Jasher chapter 88, and it says, and it was in the second month on the first day of the month, which is Kadesh, that Yohad Vahed said to Joshua, rise up. Behold, I have given Jericho into thy hand with all thy people thereof and all your fighting men shall go round the city once each day. Thus shall you do for six days. And on the seventh day, they went round the city seven times and the priests blew upon the trumpets. And so we see that the only way, you know, the, they could not have broken the Shabbat is if you have Rosh Kadesh included in that seven-day count, and that's exactly what we see here recited in the book of Jasher, that it was on Rosh Kadesh that they began their march, and then they had these six days leading up to what is the first Sabbath, because the Sabbaths are always on the 8th, the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th, uh, which again align with the phases of the moon, and you know, the, the not breaking this Shabbat. Uh, and this is just one of those indicators. There's so many. We'll, we'll have to do a show on the calendar sometime, talk about that. But we've got three minutes remaining, brother. If you would give out your, uh, your website contacts, whatever you'd like to share, social media, and then final comment. Yeah, uh, again, Zen, uh, thank you for uh, your uh, your your generosity to have me on. And it, it, again, I like I here's one of the things that is an example to me, Zen, is that, you know, like I want to bring people onto my channel who I don't necessarily agree with. And uh, and people will freak out over it, like, no, you're what are you doing? And it's like, oh, no, I just want to extend to this guy to give his opinion, you know. Uh, so I, I really, it means a lot to me that you, you do this and, uh, that you can disagree and go like, I'm still going to hear you out anyways. Uh, so for everyone out there, uh, again, my name is Noel Hadley, the unexpected cosmology. Um, I, uh, uh, 
I am a, a writer and I put out a lot of books. I a ministry leader. Um, and uh, yeah, we every my YouTube channel that I expect cosmology every Friday night. I do the Torah portions, give a presentation afterwards. I'll be starting a Galatians study, uh, a, a very long ongoing Galatians study this Friday. And um, website, Unexpected Cosmology, Discord group, all the same. Come by, say hi. Love to see you guys. Love to have uh, conversations about all sorts of stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's all, folks. <laughs> well, um, I don't know of anybody that agrees 100% with what I talk about and what I say. Uh, I know even my son disagrees with a lot of things that he's seen me come to discernment upon in my life. So, um, yeah, I'll, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever meet that person, you know, that has a hundred percent agreement with me, but Hey, um, you know, we did as far as the 5,500 years and the timeline and there being some kind of weirdness with all that, there's definitely a lot more to consider and to learn about all that, but we appreciate you brother. Looking forward to your continued studies, your works, your books, and, um, uh, We'll definitely have to catch up before, you know, a very long time passes. Absolutely. Yeah, send my regards to the family, the wife, give hugs to the kids, and uh, we'll do it again soon, uh, a few months or so. Okay. All right. Be blessed, brother. Good night, everybody. And, yes, we will uh, ask some people that are always in the chat to be moderators. We definitely recognize we need uh, a few more. We'll try to have three with each show. So um, thank you for showing us the need. Be blessed all. Good night. Shalom. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this video and this broadcast. We appreciate all of you. And you for your patronage. Please do like and subscribe and share with your friends. God bless all of you in your seeking.